dealing with what are loosely described as cum-ex trades. It involved an arrangement. Finance companies were organising for double refunds of tax that had been paid on dividends. You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 227 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Comex, Comex trading scandals, Comex files, the saga has many names, but what exactly is it about? This is the question I asked Bob Deutsch, the senior tax counsel of the Tax Institute. There's a fascinating case that has emerged in Germany, of all places, dealing with what are loosely described as cum-ex trades, that's C-U-M hyphen E-X trades. And it's an interesting case because it raises a major jurisprudential question. It involved an arrangement which, the details of which are a little bit difficult to ascertain, but broadly speaking, What happened was that finance companies were organising for double refunds of tax that had been paid on dividends. One refund was legitimately payable, but through some financial wizardry, they achieved the outcome that two refunds were secured in relation to the one dividend. So to put this in a mathematical context, if a dividend of 70 Dollars, let's say, or 70 euro as it was, was paid to a shareholder on which 30 euros tax had been paid, the shareholder would could, through this process, secure a refund not of $30 but of $60. In other words, two lots of $30 that were connected, arguably, to this one dividend. Now, the question before the German courts is whether this was legitimate. And it seems to me that the argument is, firstly, that this is criminal theft. If that is the position that is being taken by the German courts and they pursue it and succeed, then it's the end of the case and effectively there's a criminal charge. There may also be follow-up civil proceedings but essentially it's a criminal matter. If that is not the case, in other words, if it's not treated as a crime, then the question becomes whether these particular trades were somehow improper and illegal under German law. And the legal position appears to be that under German law, as it stood at the relevant time, there was no provision that prevented the securing of these double refunds. Now, the German prosecutors have suggested that this is immoral behaviour and therefore because of its immorality, it should be treated as illegal. I think my argument is to the effect that morality does not come into the question of the interpretation of the law unless it is a matter of criminality. But we've dismissed that possibility 
by saying that the courts aren't necessarily pursuing this as a criminal matter. And in that case, it becomes a question of the application of the law as it stood. And the law, in its interpretation, should not take into account the moral concerns, the moral issues that individuals might have with the behaviour that has been undertaken. Now, it's also relevant to the case that the German authorities tried on two separate occasions to ban this practice through specific legislation. But for one reason or another, the legislation failed. Now, how relevant all that is, that final point, is an interesting question. I guess the relevance that I see of it is that there is an argument that if the law was sought sought to be changed to make this behaviour illegal and it failed to do that, it must follow that the practice is otherwise legal. Now, that argument has some holes, but it seems to me that there is an argument to that effect that the defendants in this case may pursue. So there's a number of high-profile banks involved in this practice. They include Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Deutsche Bank and Santander. But of most relevance to us, one of the Australian banks has also been involved, namely Macquarie Bank. Now, Macquarie Bank has issued an apology for its involvement and has also fully cooperated with investigators in the case. But at this stage, the case is still proceeding, including the case against Macquarie Bank. Macquarie Bank have made a provision in their accounts to allow for any adverse findings in this case, but the case is currently being heard in Germany and is unlikely to be resolved at this particular level for probably the next two months. And after that, there may be follow-up appeals unless the parties agree to settle at that point. Three questions. Three? (laughs) Wow. Three thoughts. (laughs) Yes. The first one is, until now, I thought we were one of the very few countries in the world that actually allow franking credits. The US doesn't do it. I think the UK doesn't do it. I think it's only a very, very few countries that actually do franking credits. Yes. But by the sounds of it, Germany is one well, of the other countries who do franking credits because what you were referring to before is basically a double refund of franking yes. credits. It's not. It's not franking credits because that relates to the imputation system. But countries do have similar systems to imputation. They're different in the way they operate, but they do give rise in certain circumstances to refunds of tax that has already been paid. So you're right in the sense that there is something quite similar to refunds of franking credits that we do in Australia, but it's not that. Thinking of Australia, would we have a similar loophole? Could a Comex scandal happen in Australia if somebody is inclined that way? Look, I don't believe so. I think the imputation system that we have has sufficient integrity that it's unlikely that anybody could generate a system that would give rise to a double refund. We also in Australia, and I should have mentioned this point earlier, have Part 4A, the General Anti-Avoidance Rule, which basically says that if the sole or dominant purpose of a scheme is to achieve a tax benefit the commissioner can effectively reverse that. Now, in this particular case, it seems to me that the refund, I'd have to research this in more detail, a double refund could give rise to a tax benefit, 
And hence part 4A. And hence part 4A might apply. Now, that's not as easy to secure as an outcome before the courts as you might think. There's a lot of questions about the application of Part 4A. There's also the question in the back of my mind as to whether a refund of this nature would constitute a tax benefit. That's something that I'd have to look into in more detail, but you do have Part 4A to traverse as well. Most other countries do not have a general anti-avoidance rule of the kind that we have Mm. in Australia. So I think the likelihood of this arising in Australia is fairly remote, but one should not ever underestimate the financial ingenuity of people involved in this industry. They are very clever and do have the ingenuity to work out different schemes. So I wouldn't say never, but I would say it's unlikely. I'm surprised to learn by assumption that Germany doesn't seem to have a Part 4A equivalent because if Germany had a Part 4A equivalent, they could have stopped this practice a long time ago because it has been going over a decade. They have been trying for over 10 years to stop this practice. So I think the dates were something somewhere around 2006 to 2012 when they oh, stopped okay. doing it. So it was not quite a decade, but it was certainly a good six, seven years. I see. So it's no yeah. longer going on. No. They stopped it in 2012. Yes. yes. Well, that's, that's when the investigators started to cotton on to what was going on. And they have started to deny, then they started to deny the double refunds and launched proceedings. And that's when the whole practice ceased. Now, I'm not sure about German law in terms of whether or not they have a general anti-avoidance provision, but either they don't have one, which I suspect is the case, or if they do have one, it certainly wasn't pursued or for some technical reason could not be pursued in this particular case. But my suspicion is there isn't a general anti-avoidance provision of the kind that we have in Australia. Yeah, so they might introduce one in the near future. (laughs) Going by history, the likelihood of countries introducing a general anti-avoidance rule of this kind has not been all that rosy. Um, New Zealand has a general anti-avoidance rule and very few other countries do. The United Kingdom looked at it um, they had a long inquiry about it and decided not to proceed. Do you know why? Because it makes perfect sense to me to do it. Yes. It does make sense at one level. At another level, there is a lot of opposition to it because it leaves a lot of subjective considerations about what is or is not the purpose of the taxpayer. And it does raise a lot of issues and it's quite complex to apply in practice. If you look at the cases in Australia, there's not, in my view, broad consistency in the application of Part 4A. Now, consistency is not always the hallmark of a of a legal system, but it seems to me that it's an important consideration and that's one of the reasons why countries often balk at the possibility of introducing a general anti-avoidance provision. Second thought, double payment that occurred was around $30 billion. Euro, so mm-hmm. a lot of money. And to the best of my knowledge, I think the German corporate tax rate is 15%. That means the extent of the practice was even larger because if you only take yes. talking 15% of corporate tax, yes. then to get to 13, $30 yes. billion dollars yes. means it yeah, was no, even you're, you're a widespread right. practice yes. than if it had been at a 30% tax rate. Yes, it, it was a, wide, a widespread practice. <clears throat> there were a lot of very large companies paying very large dividends, not just in Germany but in Europe generally. 
So wherever you get a large dividend paid out of taxed profits, the potential was there for this to happen. So yes, it was very widespread. Do you know why it was so difficult to stop the practice? Because by the sounds of it, mm. they stopped it straight away as soon as the investigators knocked on the door. If they claim it was legal, why did they stop? Well, I think they stopped because the German authorities would have started to deny the second refund. So it became... They kept claiming it, but the governments just stopped. They stopped. Came. And after they launched their investigation, I think everybody got cold feet and decided to back off and there were no more further double refund claims. There would have been a few claims that would have gone in, double refund claims, that would have been denied. And that's when they would have tweaked to the fact that the authorities were on to what was going on. Unfortunately, I'm not privy as to exactly how it evolved in the German administration, but it does seem to me that as soon as they clamped down on it, and people got wind of the fact that an investigation was underway, they stopped the practice. And that's not uncommon. That's what happens with most schemes that are on the edge. People will do it for as long as it stays nobody's under the looking. radar. Well, nobody's looking, or the expression that I would use is it stays under the radar. As soon as it's on the radar of revenue authorities, people will stop engaging in that practice. Not everyone. There are some people who are more gung-ho than others, but most rational people, even if they're operating at the edge, will usually stop when the authorities start to get on top of an issue. And talking about Europe as it being a European issue, I think tax law is still very much local in Europe, hasn't been harmonized. Hence, every ATO basically in, in every European country that is affected has to pursue all this on its own. Well, I think that's true. Notwithstanding the existence of the EU, I think the administrations are still fairly independent and decentralized and they operate on their own. Having said that, there has been an effort by the EU to harmonize a lot of, maybe not harmonize, that's probably the wrong word, but certainly to make trade within the EU block more straightforward and bringing the tax system in line in that context to enable trade to be freer and more easily conducted. But it's only reached a certain point and it hasn't gone far enough, for example, for this type of behaviour to be caught out early. So that means in this case, the matter is pursued in each state jurisdiction. Yes. So there are probably 10, 13, 15 lawsuits in One oh, in every country. There'd, there'd be many. I couldn't give you an exact number. Of course, number, because that would also be an individual lawsuit against every bank. So yes, you're probably that's right. talking we're, we're in talking, the hundreds. We're talking, hundreds I, I, I would imagine, at least... Europe-wide. Yes, at least that sort of figure, Europe-wide. I do know that right at the end, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that a scheme was launched in Denmark. I'm pretty sure it was Denmark, but... I've read so much about this that I, I may be mixing it up, but I'm pretty sure it was in Denmark and a small amount was issued as a refund in relative terms, a small amount. I think it was something in the order of two billion euros, which was relatively small in the overall scheme of things here. And the authorities got onto it relatively quickly, but not until that amount had seeped out of the coffers. 
So they will also be pursuing it. All the countries have decided, as far as I'm aware, to wait for the outcome of the German proceedings. So the Germans are leading the charge mainly because they've got the most stake, somewhere in the order of $30 billion, as you indicated. But the total amount across the whole of Europe is closer to three times that amount. Wow, I didn't realise that. So it's Mm. very big. Very big, but it's spread across a number of countries. One more question. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's on the verge of being embarrassing because it shows how little understanding I have of financial securities. Well, don't worry. There's a lot of people who have very little understanding. (laughs) Comex Mm -hmm. is two different things. There are cum dividends and there are ex dividends. If you buy a share, cum dividend, that means you will receive The the dividend. If you buy a share ex-dividend, it means you're not getting the dividend. So theoretically, it doesn't always work like this with market forces at play, but theoretically a come-dividend share should be worth more or should cost you more than an ex-dividend share. The difference should be, leaving aside franking credits in Australia, which complicates things even more, The difference should be the size of the dividend. So But it if, often isn't. It often isn't because you get these quirky things happening with market forces such that the dividend isn't fully reflected in the relative prices of a come versus an ex-dividend. Because, for example, mum and dad investors don't really pay attention to whether a share is come or ex, hence they just buy it and Possibly. are not aware of That, that would Those be one details. explanation. That would be one explanation. But the area where you can see this most is you can buy a share, for example, if a share goes what we call ex-dividend, which means it will no longer carry the dividend. It goes ex-dividend on the, where are we today, the 12th of February. You can buy the share on the 11th of February come dividend, or you can buy the share on the 14th of February ex-dividend. Now, will it reflect that difference in price? Probably Probably not. not, Because the other thing that has happened in that two-day period, markets have moved. So it's not as straightforward as saying it's just the difference in the size of the dividend. It will depend on what else is going on. Because other factors are... Other things happen, exactly. The thing that I find most engaging about this case is that it raises to a degree the whole question of the extent to which morality forms part of the analysis that is conducted when one interprets the law. And I think in Australia we have Part 4A that introduces an element, if you like, of morality in that question. But apart from that, my view but it's not universally shared, I have to concede. But my view is that the morality issue is relevant to the formulation of the law, but it should not be relevant to the interpretation of the law. Now, the German courts may find differently in this case, and that's why I'm so eager to see exactly how they formulate their view in this decision. Welcome back. Bob already touched on countries involved in the CAMEX scandal. If you look at a map of countries involved, it is 
basically all of Europe. The only countries who seem to have kept a relatively clean nose are Portugal, Sweden, England, Ireland and Greece. Just those five. The rest of Europe were all involved. Germany with over 30 billion euro as the ringleader, France with 17 billion euro as Germany's best buddy, Spain, Italy, the Netherlands, Denmark, Belgium, Austria, Finland, Norway, Switzerland. They all took part one way or another. One person has already gone to jail, Ulf Johannemann, a former Freshfields lawyer, was jailed in November last year, November 2019, to prevent him from disappearing, absconding, going off to South America. Freshfields, the um, firm that Mr. Johannemann worked for, Freshfields is the law firm that was heavily involved in the Akamek scandal. In the next episode, episode 228, Bob Deutsch will talk about the current international tax scene. What are the top three issues that are bugging humanity? And we will also talk about the tax summit that is coming up from the 11th to 13th of March in Sydney in the ICC. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>